Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. Exodus 3, 7-12 Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their suffering and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honeys. The territory of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebutites. So because the Israelites cry for help, so because the Israelites cry for help has come to me, and I have also seen the way of the Egyptians, and the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh, so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He answered, I certainly will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Exodus 4, 1 through 5. Moses answered, What if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say, The Lord did not appear to you? The Lord asked him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Throw it on the ground, he said. So Moses threw it on the ground. It became a snake, and he ran from it. The Lord told Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. This will take place, he continued, so that they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Amen. It is so great to see you guys this morning. Why don't you take a seat? Kiddos, I'm going to dismiss you right now to your Renaissance kids' time. And while they're going, can we just thank the Lord together and thank this worship team for leading us today? So good. Y'all have an amazing time out there, kiddos. I just want to pray for us as we open the scriptures today and dive in. Um, Why don't you just join me right now? God, we thank you so much for your presence in this place, and we just say you are worthy of it all, Jesus. Thank you for all that you have done, going and and stepping into our place, Jesus, taking the the burdens of our lives, the the sin, the, the things that have plagued us, God, to to take our illnesses upon yourself, Jesus, to stand in that place and to take the, the punishment that I deserved and to do it out of love. God, we are just in awe of you. We thank you, Jesus, that you're alive, that you are resurrected. 
and that your spirit has come to fill us and to lead us into truth and to guide us and to, to, to let us know your thoughts. And so we ask this morning that you would just kind of give us those ears to hear and those eyes to see as we look at your word, that you would speak to every heart in this place. And Father, I pray that um, even now, God, that, that you're just, the, the peace of your Holy Spirit would rest upon every person in this house. Father, we thank you for your love for us and we honor you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So um, Herman and Chelsea read this passage for us and um, I, I want to talk today about Moses, missions, and me. It, in fact, just if you could just take your, your, your finger, your pointer finger, and just kind of point it there at yourself, okay? Just join with me, play along, right? Moses, missions, and me, and then I just want you to turn to someone nearby and say, I think he's talking to you today, all right? I think he's talking to you, okay? We're, we're in a series called Made for This, and we are looking at the, the statements that we kind of have plastered on the back wall, which is that we believe that God designed every single human being for these three major things, is to walk with him, is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, to know the God who made you, to know your creator, we talked about that week one. We talked about our starting point. Like, how do we begin to walk with God? Week two, uh, last week, we talked about growing in community, that you were made to grow in community, that you cannot know Jesus by yourself. You need other people around you to help you grow, that you were, you were born again into a new family. And then today, I want to talk about that third statement, that we were created by God to live on mission. And here's the thing. Um, most of us, many Christians, missions is um, it's something that somebody else does somewhere else. Okay? It's something else that somebody else does somewhere else. And we love those people, and we love to hear the stories, and we love to read the newsletter, but that's not what we do here. And friends, this idea is so foreign to the New Testament. So foreign to the New Testament. That's what we're going to talk about today. And what the, the title of the message is this, what's that in your hand? What's that in your hand? I just, I love that, that moment between God and Moses. What's that in your hand? That's what we're going to be uh, focusing on today. I know uh, you might have been on a mission trip. In fact, if you've been on a short-term short mission trip, can you raise your hand for me? Like you've gone somewhere, uh, uh, maybe overseas. Awesome. That's great. I love that, right? Because there's something about going somewhere and doing something. And it's like, it, you, you do good for somebody, but what happens always is that you kind of get changed in the process, right? And I, I highly recommend it because it sort of helps us to see our lives differently, to see missions differently. But if we're not careful, what happens is we slide right back into this mindset, this mentality of somebody else somewhere else, right? We're made for this mission. And uh, in the NASB translation, uh, this portion of scripture that we looked at, it says the mission of Moses, the mission of Moses, and we see that God has this mission for Moses. It's, it's a moment of commissioning for Moses. 
And he tells him what he wants him to do. And what we see is that Moses is a lot like us and that he's thinking, isn't that for somebody else? Somewhere else, God? And of course, God corrects him. The, the context of what we just read this morning is that Israel, whose name was first Jacob, he and his sons, they all go to the land of Egypt. Joseph has been carried away there. He's kind of climbed the ranks. God has done miraculous things to bring him to the place of being the right-hand man of Pharaoh. A famine hits the land and uh, Israel and all of his descendants have to go to Egypt and they begin to flourish there, but they're there for like 400 years. So the the grandkids and the great-grandkids and the great-great-grandkids, millions of Israelites are now living in Egypt and they're being mistreated, they're being enslaved. And we have this guy named Moses who grew up in the household of Pharaoh. He was a Hebrew. His mother had put him in a basket in the midst of a, a, a persecution in which all the male children were gonna be killed. And she puts them in the water, right? And he floats around. And if, you, if you've seen Prince of Egypt, kids, right, you kind of know the story. Pharaoh's daughter brings him into the house. And so we have Moses who has now run away to the ranch in Midian because he killed somebody who was mistreating an Israelite slave. Genesis 3, at the beginning, the part that we didn't read, it begins with the burning bush. You probably know the story of the burning bush, right? Moses is out there and he sees a bush on fire, but it's not being consumed. And he's like, hmm, I should look at that. And when he gets close, God speaks to him. And we have this moment where God commissions him. And I just wanted to, to look at what he says to him. And in verse 7 of chapter 3, Here's what God says to Moses. I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Wow. There's so much in this passage of, of what uh, happens here and what God reveals about himself that really is foundational to our, our understanding of God throughout the entire scripture. But the first thing that I want us to notice is that when we think about missions is we think about the something that somebody else does somewhere else. I want us to first realize that missions actually starts in the heart of God. It's, it, it, we can be people who think that um, that's what over-eager, overly optimistic Christian do-gooders do, right? Those missions people, they just, they're, they're going to go change the world, right? And they have all that, like, energy inside, and gosh, like, that's not me at all. And here's the thing, is that energy does not come from somebody, one of us. It comes from somebody, it starts in the heart of God, and, and that's what the Lord tells him. In fact, the, the first point is this. Missions is joining God in what he is doing. That's what missions is. He tells him, I've observed their misery. I've heard them crying out. 
I know about their sufferings. I mean, right now, God is looking out over our community right now, and God is seeing things, and he's hearing things. He knows suffering that we don't even know about. He, he knows what's happening on the inside of people that we have no clue about. But there's something in them that's groaning, it's crying out, that they, they need something, they need help, they need change, they, they need some kind of breakthrough. They, he hears them. And he reveals this to Moses, and he says this, I've come down to rescue them. I love that, to bring them out to a good land. And so when we talk about what does it mean for us to live on mission, it's not like we're going to go create a bunch of you know, good things to do for God. What we're doing is saying, God, what are you seeing? What's on your heart? What's the cry that we don't even know about? Lord, would you just help us to know what that is? Because we believe it's what you're already doing, and we just want to join you. We're joining in what God is already doing when you became a Christian, if you're a Christian. If you're not, I'm glad you're here. But if you are, one of the terms that we use is that I'm a follower of Christ. And if you're a follower of Christ, you might want to ask, where are you going? And what you're going to hear and what you're going to read in the scripture is that God is going to people in need. We, we can look at it in three buckets. And here's the three buckets. It's the lost, it's the vulnerable, and it's believers in need. Here's why. Luke 19.10 tells us, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save who? The lost. I want to follow Jesus. Jesus, where are you going? I'm going to seek and to save the lost. That's his heart. And if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus who lives on mission, I just want to get his heart about lost people. What does it mean to be lost? It means that you, you were created for God, like we're talking about. You were made for him to walk with him, and you're separated from him. You're lost. And God's called us to this ministry of reconciliation to help people find their way to Jesus. The lost. He's come to seek and save them. In James 1, 27, uh, James, the brother of Jesus, says this, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It, it, it just reveals something that the, the Bible talks about from Old Testament all the way to the New Testament that he's the father of the fatherless. He cares about the oppressed, the, the widow, the, the resident alien, right? the unborn. He cares about these things. And so Jesus is going towards those people. And if we're going to follow him, we're going to go there too. Or 1 Corinthians 9 um, 11 and 12, and it says, you will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service, get this, is not only supplying the needs of the saints. Who's he talking about? He's talking about other believers that are in dire need. 
And he's saying to them, look, can you help them? Can, can you just like set aside some money and we're, we're going to take it to them because these people need our help. It says not only is this um, supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So we have these three buckets. We have the, the lost. Jesus cares about lost people. We have the vulnerable. Jesus cares about the vulnerable. And we have other brothers and sisters who are in need, and Jesus cares about those things. And we're, as people who live on mission, we're just going to join God in helping the, the people that, that God's come to help. It's, um, it's a theme that we see all over the Bible. And you think about Jesus modeled this so perfectly for us when he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. And I only say what I hear the Father saying, meaning Jesus comes to seek and to save the lost because that's what the Father was doing, right? We have uh, an example in the, you know, after Jesus has uh, ascended and gone to the right hand of the Father, we have the early churches exploding and there's Philip who is scattered by the persecution and uh, he's on this road and it's like the spirit says, go this way. And then an angel says, go over there. And this is like, all these things happen. And he goes right next to the chariot of this guy who's reading from the prophet Isaiah, which is a, a prophetic passage about Jesus. And he's trying to understand it. And so he just like listens. He's like, oh, okay. Um, I can tell you what that means. And the guy's like, yes, please. He hops in. The guy gives his life to Jesus. He gets baptized in a puddle on the side of the road, right? It's just like... What was so cool about that story is not that Philip was like, I'm going to lead someone to Jesus today. No, Philip was listening to the Holy Spirit, praying, trying to follow Jesus. And the Spirit said, go over there. And then it's like crazy angels like that way, right? Which means this, God was on mission and he just wanted Philip to join him. We just join with what God is already doing. And friends, the Lord is still using people. Everyone say, like me. Me. People like me. He's using people like me in his pursuit of people in need. But Moses does what we typically do. In, in verse uh, 11 of chapter 3, here's what, here's what Moses says. And, and this is just, I love the reality of the Bible because it's so relatable to me. But Moses asked God, who am I that I should go? <laughs> I like that. Who am I that I should go? Who am I means, isn't there someone else who can do this? That I should go. Is there someone else, somewhere else that can do this for us, God? Maybe there's a Hebrew that already lives in Egypt and you can just like tap on his shoulder because I'm here at the ranch. Things are fine. Who am I that I should go? It means the, the task is too big, God. I'm not qualified. What about my past? I killed a guy, right? <laughs> And, and it sounds humble, right? It sounds humble to say, who am I that I should go? And I would rather Moses say, who am I that I should go, than to say, I thought you'd never ask. I, I always knew I was God's plan of salvation for the entire world. I'm God's gift to the world, 
right? I would much rather Moses say, who am I that I should go? But here's the thing is that the first statement, right, who am I that I should go, is humble and it is accurate. And the second one is prideful and arrogant. But the first one misses mission for the lack of courage. Who am I that I should go? And the second one, I'm God's gift to the world. It misses mission for lack of humility. But both of them fall into the same trap, which is this, self-focus. Second point for us today, self-focus is our greatest hindrance to living on mission. Why do I say that? Because listen to the answer of God. I will certainly be with you. Think about that. Who am I that I should go? I will certainly be with you. It's like Moses is saying, who am I? And God's saying, who am I? Right? You're missing the point here. It was never about you. It's about me. What did he say? I have come down to rescue them. And I just need you to join me. But it's all about me. And here's the thing, friends. Our self-focus is the thing that robs us from living on mission. We can be just like him to think, who am I that I could ever serve God? I mean, look at me. I, I, I never went to seminary. I don't know all the answers to the questions that people might ask me if I ever talked about my faith. Um, I'm not qualified. The task is too big. I mean, this person that I, I, I want them to know the Lord, but I mean, their life is so like, like, I don't even know what I would do. Like, I, it's just, like, it's too much. And we make it all about ourselves. And I think the point is this, God is doing something in them and he's just saying, will you join me? Will you just get over yourself and just look at me? And and this is where I want to camp out this morning. God shares his heart and his plan with Moses, but Moses is consumed with these self-focused doubts and questions. And God is so patient and so gracious. And here's what he does, is he just gives him this very tangible sort of kind of handle on the mission. And he asked the question, what's that in your hand? I, I just want to think about that for a moment together. What's that in your hand? Exodus 4, verse 2, Moses responds, a staff. What's that in your hand? A staff. Now, Moses must have been an Enneagram 6. Because if you know anything about an Enneagram 6, is that they will tell you all the worst case scenarios as soon as you have an idea. Do we have any sixes in the room? Some of you are like, the Enneagram is of the devil, and I don't know what you're talking about right now. It's not, okay? It's just a personality thing. If you don't like it, don't worry about it. I'm married to an Enneagram 6, my wonderful wife, Casey. Sometimes I have an idea, and she goes, da, 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 and I'm like, I will never share an idea again. That's what's terrible. That's a terrible idea, right? I'll, I'll never say it again. 
because she can see all the problems. And I think that's what Moses is doing. He's like, well, what if they say this? Have you ever thought about that, God? What if, what if they say, you're making all this up and you're crazy and God never appeared to you? What do I say then? He goes through all the questions, all the stuff. And I love how God kind of cuts through it. He gets, it's like his mind is spinning on all the stuff. Here's all the scenarios. And God's like, what's in your hand? Oh, this? This is my staff. Now, just so you know, Moses is the reluctant rancher. He's the shepherd. He has a staff that he's probably been using for decades. Okay, this would have been a, 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 a fixture of his life. It was his everyday instrument. And it's, that's the thing that God points to and asks, what's that in your hand? Now, I just want you to think about, if you, if you know the story of, of the, the Exodus, all the ways that God uses the staff. See, God takes his old shepherding staff and he uses it in the most miraculous ways. We just read that the first one is that it, it becomes a sign and a wonder in that Moses puts it on the ground and it turns into a snake and he screams like a girl and he runs away. And he's like, ah, I hate snakes, right? And he's like, no, God's like, no, grab it by the tail. He grabs it by the tail, turns back into a staff. And this, this becomes a sign and a wonder when he's facing the Egyptian magicians. They do the same thing, right? Their staff turns into a snake, which is crazy, by the way, to think about the power of darkness. Okay, that's crazy. But then Moses' staff eats the other snakes. Isn't that crazy? It's like, take that. It becomes a sign and a wonder. Later, it's the instrument of judgment. Because every plague, God says, hold out your staff. The locusts, the frogs, the, the boils, the, all of them. An instrument of judgment. Becomes an instrument of deliverance. The, the Israelites are pinned down. The, the, the armies coming after them, right? They have a mountain on one side. They have the sea on the other. And God says, I just want you to hold your staff out of the water. And the waters part and boom, they go across on dry land. An instrument of deliverance. Becomes an instrument of battle. Um, there's a, a scene where the Israelites are fighting the Amalekites and Moses says, I'm gonna go up on the hilltop and I'm gonna hold my staff out. And he holds his staff out. And you know, you know the story, like they're, they're winning the battle because he's got his hands up, right? And it's, it's the staff becomes an instrument of battle. Later, it becomes an instrument of provision when they're on the mountain. Which, by the way, if you just want to go down like a YouTube rabbit hole this week, just search up like um, the real Mount Sinai. Oh my gosh. In Saudi Arabia, it's fantastic. They actually have a picture of this massive rock and it's got water erosion all down the base of it. They believe it's where Moses strikes the rock. You can see the water erosion. It's amazing. And God says, take your staff and strike the rock. It becomes an instrument of provision. This simple, old shepherding staff, when it was taken from Moses' hand and put into God's hand, becomes an instrument that is used in mighty and miraculous 
ways. And it's as though God was saying to Moses, whose mind is spinning with, oh my gosh, that's for somebody else, somewhere else. And he says, like, would you just follow my command with what I've put in your hand? And as people who are prone to the someone else, somewhere else mentality, I believe God is asking us the same question. What is in your hand? Here's my third point for us. To live on mission is simply to serve God with what he's given to you. That's it. That, that cuts through all the like, I don't want to move to Africa right now. It's like, I know. Can you just serve God with what he's put into your hand? So let me just ask the question, what has God put in your hand? Have you ever thought about that before? What has God already given me? It's the staff I've been carrying around. I've been carrying it for decades. I already have it. And God's just saying, no, that's what I want from you. I, I, I don't need you to have all this other stuff. Like, what's already in your hand? Well, here's some things to maybe help you think about it. The first is, what are the resources that God has given you? One resource that I think all of us have, if I'm not mistaken, is that I think we're all given 24 hours in a day and seven days in a week. It's true for me. I think it's true for you too, right? Yeah? We've all been given time. God's given you a resource of time. And sometimes it's just simply saying, God, what do you want me to do with the time that you've given me? Right? One thing you could do is you could serve here on a Sunday. You could give an hour and a half serving on a Sunday. And that would be missional. You could use a resource that God's given you to invest it in seeing other people connect with Jesus at our church. It's beautiful. It, it might be something like, hey, there's someone in our church that I've been wanting to spend some time with. Right? I, I feel like I, I would really enjoy getting to know them. And who knows, God might even form a discipling relationship. I'm just going to spend some time with them. Just giving our time. I, another is that God has given us our treasure, a time in our treasure, meaning we all have money and possessions. God's given each one of us a measure of that. Some of you might have lots of those things. Some of you might just have very few of those things. And the question is not like, what don't you have? The question is, what's in your hand? Does that make sense? What's already in your hand? Um, Giving is missional. That's a, that's a missional act, right? When, when we have house churches meet in homes, when you say, hey, everybody come to my house and you spend the effort to make sure that, you know, you clean up the bathroom a little bit or put some food out or whatever you do, right? That's actually missional. You're using what God's put in your hand to bless other people. When we give on Sundays, that's a missional act, right? We're just saying, God, thank you for what you've given to us. We want to give this back to you. We, we want to take the, this thing that you put in our hand, and we want to see you use it for your kingdom. 
We had a Zoom call two weeks ago that Jason shared about last week in a, a, a ministry partner in Pakistan. And he's telling us stories. And I love it. He apologizes to us before he tells us stories. Like, hey, I don't want to disturb you, disturb you guys when I tell you this, but you know, we have this village and we have women who are having to walk like a long distance to get to the water. And there's a girl in the fellowship and she was assaulted this week because uh, a man was waiting for a vulnerable person to come and get water so that he could force himself upon her. We need $350 to build a hand pump. It's like, can I just give you all of my money, please? Just take, here, I'm just, here, take it all, because what you're doing sounds like way more important than what I'm doing right now. Right? It's just giving whatever he's put into our hand to say, would you, God, please, please use this for the lost and the vulnerable and believers in need our time, and our treasure. The third is our talents, is that every single one of us has been given an ability. You already have it. You've always had it. You don't have to go make one up. It's already in your hand. And whatever that is, and you might think, oh, it's the most insignificant thing in the world, right? Let me tell you, your ability is gold in the kingdom of God. Like we need your ability here in this mission that God has called us to. I, uh, I loved when we had Farrell come. Uh, they were in town. They were from Nicaragua, uh, Hope Project, incredible ministry there. Here's how it started. He had gone to Nicaragua with his son. Uh, Farrell says, I was a truck driver and I had just been divorced, and I felt like I, had com I was completely disqualified from ever serving God again. And he went to visit Nicaragua, and he saw children like age six, seven, eight years old huffing glue on the street just to cover up their hunger pains. So he sees them. These kids are starving, and so they don't know what to do. They can't get food, so they're just huffing glue so that they can just sort of fall asleep at night. And here's what he said to me, and he starts to tear up. This man's been doing this for years now, and he still tears up when he tells a story. As he said uh, to himself, well, I can cook rice and beans. And so he and his son, they went and bought rice and beans and cooked it, and they fed kids on the street, and a whole ministry was born that now does all kinds of crazy stuff, awesome things. And all he did was say, I can at least do this. Right? It's our time, our treasure, and our talents using what's already in our hands. That's the resources. The, the second way that I want you to think about it is this. It's your relationships, your resources and your relationships. The first one is that if you are a believer in Jesus, you have a relationship with God. And whatever that is, it's already in your hand, okay? Whatever your testimony is, whatever your story was, however you came to Jesus, that is something that God has placed in your hand already, and it's valuable. And people need to hear about that. A second is that you have relationships with people. And you know, our mission is a people mission. And it's a mission that's done by people like you and me. And you already have relationships in your life through which God wants 
to use you. There's a, a Greek word called oikos. You've probably heard that word before. And it means your sphere of influence. In the scriptures, when it says you and your whole, uh, your whole household, like when they were saying, you know, come to come to Jesus and be baptized, you and your whole household is saying you and your whole sphere of influence, right? It's all the people that probably worked for you and, and you know, your family and your extended family, like everybody in your sphere of influence. We want the gospel to go to all of you. And God's still doing that today. That he's given you an oikos. He's given you a sphere of influence. Relationships that they're already in your hand. You already have them. You don't have to go make them. And God wants to use you there in all the places where you live, work, and play. It's the relationships that we build with other believers in our, in our church or, or in our house churches. I've used this before. Uh, did y'all play Red Rover as a kid? Yeah, Red Rover? Some of you are like, Chris, you're so old. Kids don't play that anymore. They play Fortnite now. I know that, but back when I was a kid, we would play games like on the playground, on the grass, outside. It was crazy. And one of the games that we played was called Red Rover. And what you would do is, it was kind of a, a, a test of strength, is that you would join hands with your teammates, right? And you would say, Red Rover, Red Rover, let Sally come over. And little Sally... She's going to run as fast as she can right at you. And you're going to grab hands. You're going to hold on as tight as you can, right? And she's going to try to break through. But if you hold on and she doesn't break through, she gets to join the line, right? And I was thinking about how Jesus told his disciples, I, I, I'm going to make you fisher of men. But how they fished was with a net. We think of like a bass fisherman out there by himself with his like, top secret, like, you know, lure in his top secret spot. But they thought about like, hey, we're going to all drop a net in together and then we're all going to pull it out because it's going to be super heavy. So we're all going to have to get in on this, right? And so these disciples, when they said fishers of men, they're thinking like, we're joining together to bring in this harvest that God's going to bring of people who want to know him. And so like, it's going to be all hands on deck. And it's almost as if our relationships are like Red Rover, like our, our groups are like Red Rover, where we're saying, we're going to build this, this, this bond that's so tight, and then we're going to invite people to come in, and just like, we're, we're just going to hold it so tight, and if they don't break through, guess what? They're going to join, right? Red Rover. It's our relationships. They become the net in which God catches people into his beautiful, wonderful, loving gospel. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God. The word steward means that you're taking care of something that belongs to someone else. He's saying, look, God's given you some things. He's put some things in your hands and just use it to serve others as good stewards of his varied grace. There's a moment that we didn't read in Exodus chapter four. And let me just read this real fast. It's uh, uh, verse 20. And it says, so Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt. 
the reluctant rancher is like, okay, load them up. We're going. But here's the second part. And Moses took God's staff in his hand. I'll say it again. Moses took God's staff in his hand. Something happens when Moses understands what God is saying when he says, what's that in your hand? And whatever was in his hand, actually Moses says, no, no, that's not mine anymore. That's yours. He took God's staff in his hand. So the invitation this morning for us as people who think that it's for somebody else, somewhere else, is to say this, God, what have you put in my hand? And then what I want you to do is just to be willing to open that up to the Lord so that you could take what's in his hand. To take what's in your hand, to put it into his. Friends, the only way we could ever do this, the only reason why we would ever even consider it is not to be over-eager, overly optimistic do-gooders. And not because it's good PR for Jesus. Or not because we're trying to add some jewels to our heavenly crown, right? The only reason that we would ever do this is because Jesus himself did not opt for a somebody else, somewhere else mentality. Rather, he put himself in the Father's hands, who, by the way, put Jesus into our hands, and we killed him, so that his broken body would become the instrument of judgment, the instrument of battle, the instrument of deliverance, and the instrument of provision. And friends, as followers of that Savior, he's asking us, what's that in your hand? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rind-church.org.